love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, there you go. We're going to be taking care of business. This is Dan Miller, and we're going to be spending the next 48 minutes going over questions you, the listeners, have submitted during the course of the week. Lots of interesting things going on as the economy continues to be kind of um, volatile, to say the least. That creates challenges, but it also presents opportunities. We're going to be looking at some of those. Here's some of the things we'll cover in today's podcast. Dan, how can you initiate change and still be liked by coworkers? Interesting position. Sometimes when you initiate things, even if they're better, you don't get a pat on the back, do you? Well, Dan, can I read articles on my subscription podcast without any legal issues? We'll cover some of those things. Got a couple questions today that deal with uh, copyrights, trademarks, things like that. Dan, what can I do to increase my rates when I have a consulting contract that is in place with a company? How do I deal with a heavy heart? For three years now, I've been stuck in the same job. I'm losing my faith and energy. Ouch. Dan, I'm a very passionate elementary teacher. However, there are some aspects of classroom teaching that stress me out. Yeah, you and a whole lot of other teachers. We'll look at that. Dan, I believe that my past is holding me back because I'm fearful of people finding out I have a criminal history. Well, we'll unpack some of those and try to get through some of the challenging situations that we're all confronted with. You know, we all bring a lot of things to the table with us. We all bring a lot of things in our past to the table with us, uh, but we all are looking for creative opportunities and solutions as well. So we'll go through some of these. I'll give you some resources that'll help you in whatever you're confronted with today as you are moving toward finding or creating work that you love. we got some events coming up here, as you well know. Ashley, my daughter, does a great job of getting information about out about some of the events we've got, our Right to the Bank. Our Right to the Bank, now, I, I'm recording this June the, what is it, June the 9th, and we are just about sold out for the August Right to the Bank event. Uh, that just seems to be increasingly popular. A lot of people are doing that. I mean, as the publishing industry changes, the the cards have been taken away from the publishers, you know, holding them close to their chest. It's never been easier to, in fact, get into the publishing world, to have some of your own information out there. Now, that also means it's easy for anybody with garbage to get their stuff out there. So you still have to be good. You still have to have content that people want and then do the right things in terms of marketing. But that's certainly a, an area that a lot of people are wanting to become players, and rightfully so. And I'm excited about that and encourage you. If you want to look at that, come to our Right to the Bank event. You can find information about that on our website. Just go to the live events link and you'll see information and scheduled speakers and some of the things coming up in that event. And then also we have our Coaching with Excellence. We just completed one of those. Had a new batch of people come through who want to be coaches. And we send them out full of vim and vigor and uh, not just uh, excitement, but also real principles and practices for building an effective and profitable coaching business. Got another thing that I want you to do. Ashley sent this on to me as well. We put up a survey recently, and we've gotten a lot of response from newsletter 
readers. So we're kind of staging this. We put it up for newsletter readers and then also for people who are involved in 48days.net. Just wanting feedback from you. You know, how do you stay connected in the 48 days family arena? What's valuable to you? I mean, uh, we don't want to have anything that is just becoming stagnant. I mean, some time ago, I questioned the validity the importance of our newsletter. And we did a couple quick surveys and found out real quickly that newsletter readers are very loyal. They want that. A lot of them don't care about podcast or blog, but they want the newsletter. So we'll continue that. But we we ask questions of our readers and listeners regarding anything that we do. I mean, this is not just about sending something down from some ivory tower. This is about providing things that are valuable. So we want to hear from you. And now I want to hear from the podcast listeners. So you can go to, since we've pretty well contacted the blog readers, the 48days.net crowd and the newsletters, the only group left really are the podcasters, and I'd love to get your feedback. Now, that link really is 48days.com slash reader hyphen survey. Again, 48days.com slash reader hyphen survey. If you just put that in, it'll take you right to the survey. You can just go to 48days.com or 48days.net. We still have it up there, but we know that the remaining group now is going to be you podcast listeners. And I really would uh, appreciate it if you would do that. Otherwise, the results are very skewed. I mean, if we ask just the newsletter readers if they value the newsletter, obviously they do. But uh, I want the podcast listeners. You're a very big, vocal, viable group as well that we value. And I want to get your feedback so that it counterbalances the feedback we've gotten from people who participate in the community and other ways. Again, I'll give you a reminder of that at the end of the podcast here, and I appreciate your help on that. Well, let me jump into the quote. Well, let me give you a quotation. Our quotation for today comes from Margaret Thatcher, who said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he'd had only good intentions. He had money, too. Wow. Let me let, me let that sink in a little bit. No one would remember the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money too. You know, we often assume that humanitarian or godly work is done best by those in honorable professions like social worker, pastor, teacher, nurse, or other nonprofit employee, and that the more money a person makes, the more removed they're likely to be from doing good. But be aware that if making money is one of your talents, you have added extreme leverage to your ability to do good in the world. So be a good Samaritan with money just like the guy in the biblical story was. He had enough money to make something happen, to address a solution that needed to be addressed. And you can do the same. So don't ever apologize about having money or wanting to have more so you can do more good. It's an effective way to get you on that path. Anna says, um, let me me, uh, slip down here. Let me go to Michael. Michael says, uh, Dan... I'm about to launch something that is both frightening and exciting at the same time. Don't you just love that? Invigorating. Sort of reminds me of what Grimley from The Lord of the Rings said when they were about to storm the Black Gates. And he said, certain death or little chance of success. What are we waiting for? <laughs> How do you like those options? Certain death or little chance of success. What are we waiting for? Anyway, Michael says, I do have a question. I recently decided on a book title for my next book photo book, thought I would just use the name for my whole style of photography, Nearscapes. 
I've been considering that word for a long time, and it just feels right. So I'd like to call my next book Nearscapes, and I'd like to use that on my website as well. I don't have plans for a URL, though, and I have no plans to use the word as a business name. To me, it's the same as calling a photograph Vista a landscape, except those are close-up landscapes, hence the word Nearscape. Makes sense? Anyway, through an internet search, I found someone had trademarked that word, Nearscape. It's an invented word, actually, and he states that he coined the word and he's using it in the same way as I would like to. I didn't think you could trademark a word like that, but he seems to have done so. He's in the United Kingdom somewhere. But my question is this, am I allowed to use the word? Will I get myself in some sort of legal battle if I use it? I did go and look at the site, Michael, that you show there. And and to me, you're, you're stirring up muddy water that is there's not enough benefit to stir up the muddy waters. Now, when you say that he trademarked it, what he shows is Nearscape with a TM there. Now, when you have a TM, and you can put that behind any phrase that you come up with, all you have to do is, in, if you're in a Word document, just go to insert symbol, boom, put in a TM, and it puts it there, and it shows that you thought of that, you don't know of anybody else who did. That's really all that it does. It is not registered. See, if you look at... Uh, Frisbee or Coca-Cola or Subway, you know, you'll see that they have not a TM, but an R in a circle. That means that they have gone through the legal process to register that trademark. That's different. However, even with just the TM, I think there's probably not enough benefit to stir up the water here and bring the attention to yourself. It is a contrived word. Now, the bottom line is, I think you could probably go ahead and use it. This person in the United Kingdom will probably never even know about that. But what that assumes is that you're going to stay small and kind of under the radar. If you really want your book to be big and you do use that term, yeah, then he does have some legal recourse. Now, could he effectively stop you? Probably not because it requires legal dollars and messy interaction to enforce that. But the fact that you found that he has that, and he also has the URL, nearscapescott.com, I think that's a significant issue here. You know, I'm not sure that I would encourage you to use the name of a book where you can't even get the URL that goes along with that. So I would suggest you just come up with your own contrived word. Come up with one that you make, trademark it just like he did this one, but move to something other than one that has so clearly already been trademarked by somebody else. Chrissy says, Dan, I'm hooked on Seth Godin's linchpin. Recently started a new job at a marketing agency, and I love it. The problem is that as I'm becoming the one who starts things, I feel like my coworkers are annoyed with me for making things change. How would you become the linchpin on the one hand and still be liked? Now, if you're not familiar, and I've talked about it on here a lot. Uh, we actually had a group meet here one time that were professed linchpins based on reading Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin. And, and in that, he means, you know, somebody who is indispensable, somebody who's remarkable, somebody who stands out. How do you make yourself a linchpin? And it should be your desire to make yourself that uh, no matter what working situation you're in. So Chrissy, I commend you on doing that, but it's not unexpected that you're going to draw some heat. I mean, my son-in-law, spent a summer working at the Nissan manufacturing plant and he went in there you know all full of energy and ideas and saw immediately ways to do some things better and where let's say that the average worker was uh, turning out 
uh, you know, 30 buckets of work an hour, and Nathan discovered that he could do 50 buckets of work just by simplifying things. Well, he got flack real quickly for that from the other workers are saying, hey, dude, you know, cut it out. Don't do that. Don't let management know that we could actually produce more work than what we're turning out here. What are you, nuts? So the goal was not efficiency and high production. The goal was how much can we do just to get by where we continue to get our cushy uh, paychecks and benefits. That's not an uncommon kind of corporate culture in an environment. It seems kind of ironic that you say that you're in a marketing department and they criticize you for coming up with new ideas. A marketing department, almost by definition, better be coming up with new ideas or they aren't really a marketing department. And yet you do get some of the same mentality there. I would say you're going to have to weigh this a little bit. You know, if your goal is just to be liked and get attaboys and pats on the back from everybody you work with, yeah, you probably keep a lower profile. But if you really think you have great ideas, ideas and you know that they are, chances are you're not going to be in the same department for a very long period of time anyway. Just do great things. You'll get noticed. You'll get opportunities and move on to other larger areas of responsibility pretty quickly. So if you got the fever to be a linchpin, don't hold back. Just be a linchpin, but know that you're going to you're going to separate ways from people who are content with mediocrity along the way. John says, first time question to the podcast, I want to start a podcast and website called readingforliberty.com. I want to read articles and newsletters over the podcast as a service. I want to charge a monthly fee for this service. Will I be able to read these articles without any legal issues? I will give full credit for the source. Yes, you do have legal issues with that. When you have articles and newsletters in print, It's very clear they are copyrighted. It doesn't even need to say that there. Just by virtue of being in print, they are legally copyrighted. For you to take those verbatim and read those as a subscription podcast, you're simply presenting that content in another format. And for you to do that, as you're describing, is pure and simple plagiarism and a violation of copyright. You can't do that. Now, can you take the ideas and where you say in an article in Time Magazine in June 9th, 2011, you know, William Buckley says this, blah, 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 and you comment on that. I mean, you can do that all day long, but to just read those articles from magazines and newsletters, no, there are legal issues there. There's really no way around it, especially since you are wanting to charge a subscription fee for your podcast. There's a little more gray area if you're just taking content and you're providing it for education and entertainment. That's kind of a gray area. And if you're doing that, there's more liberty there. But that implies that you're not charging anything for it. But as soon as you start charging, you really clearly, I mean, it's just as much if you take that same content and you just reprint it and make your own book. Well, you know you couldn't do that. That's copyright infringement. And the same thing is true if you read it on a podcast, you're just creating new content in a different way. Same issue. And you don't want to do that. Derek says, in 09, I started an IT consulting business out of necessity to generate income after being laid off as an employee. I'm under contract with this company, and they don't seem to look at the results I provide, but only at the hourly rate they pay me. What can I do to increase my rates when a contract is in place with this company? Well, Derek, the next time around, you want to negotiate a better contract. You want to establish perhaps a monthly retainer for up to 25 hours. I mean, a lot of 
contract retainers are worded in that way. I mean, I've had lots of them like that over the years where I'm just on retainer to be available, or or you could simply do that as an IT consultant. You're on call as needed. And I've had arrangements like that, and I've never found those to be abused, where if anything, it's the other way. If we have you know, on-call as needed, and I assume that that's going to be 25 hours, I mean, a lot of times it ends up being four or five hours, and you're still paid the same. So you can do that. I mean, if you really want to put your the quality of your work into a results-based formula, you can simply take a, a small percentage of sales or even a percentage of the increase based on the work that you do. There's a lot of creative ways you can structure your services, but once you put it into ours, yep, you just locked it into, you're just an indentured servant. You're just a slave. You're just an employee with different terminology. So just structure it differently the next time around. Now, you're probably going to have to fulfill the contract you currently have, and when it comes up for renewal or expires or whatever, then you have an opportunity to take a fresh look at it. Just consider this a learning experience, part of your education, so that you can frame yourself as a consultant so that it does make more sense. People who who get paid you know, hourly. I mean, I, I encourage people to get out of that mentality really quickly. I mean, that certainly puts a ceiling immediately on what you're able to do, no matter how good you are and how effective you are at getting results in a short period of time. If you develop software and you're able to complete it in 15 hours of working time, if you were being paid $100 an hour, you know, you got $1,500 for that. Well, you may have been better off to negotiate that developing the software to their satisfaction up and running, blah, 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 is a $10,000 project. How much time it takes you then is entirely up to you. And that's not to take advantage of you know, anybody, but you ought to be able to uh, extrapolate what is the real value of this product or service that I'm going to be presenting. So it should not be dependent just on your time. I mean, as a guy who's paid for time, there's a built-in incentive for you to take more time than what is really needed so that you create more income. They ought to be able to see that flaw as well in your current structure. Well, let me move on. Dan, I recently started an online training video business related to helping people understand different career paths related to the IT industry. It's itprojectkeys.com. My target market is young adults exploring career paths and people looking to change career paths, looking for some ideas of what the IT field has to offer. I want them to realize there is more to offer than the person that programs in the corner. There are many positions that use more business and interpersonal skills. I respect your opinion. Wondered if you could give some advice on how to market these training videos. Okay, you're talking about focusing this on you know young people who are looking at different career paths. Well, well, Brian, I did go to your to your website, itprojectkeys.com, and looked at that. I think you've got a really tough market to sell to. I mean, just just think about it. Students and people exploring career paths have thousands and thousands of free resources available to help them make career choices. Plus, think about the dynamics of your targeted audience, and then look at your website. I mean, your website is very professional, very small font. 
person frankly you know it's pretty cold there's not really much there to engage a person it's just information now with an IT background that may be your style but if you have something that you're wanting to sell so you have to get involved in the selling and marketing process and I don't think your website sells well at all you tell very little about why you should be trusted as having information they don't already have I mean you ought to have your picture up there and you know things that Tell about you. Now, let me just use 48 days as an example. Obviously, it's something I'm intimately familiar with, and maybe it'll help you kind of visualize what I want to describe to you here. I have a free newsletter, a free blog, a free podcast. I speak, do interviews, all free. I've done lots of workshops and seminars that have been free or sponsored by some organization. I mean, people, there are people who have gotten my newsletter you know, for six years without ever spending a penny with me. But then at that point, somebody may spend $10 on a book or $8 on an audio download. Then they participate in a $69 teleseminar. Then a $397 live event and then personal coaching, $4,500. But, you know, there's a funnel there where there's no risk. There's lots of information to get them engaged at the front end. There is a whole lot to develop trust and rapport before they're ever asked to spend a penny in any way. When I go to your website, the first thing you show is a complete training package at $699. Very little information about what that is, $699. I don't think there's a person in the world that's going to go there and spend $699. Now, you do have the modules broken down at 99 but again, frankly, I don't think there's anybody that will go to your website and spend that without having a whole lot of other engagement in some way prior to that. I mean, we still consider $19.95 to be kind of a benchmark for what people will see and respond to as a one time presentation they'll go in and spend that but you go above 20 bucks there has to be ongoing dialogue there has to be a person at the other end of the telephone or there has to be something that has engaged that person already to get them to spend that kind of money yours is way over that and i don't think anybody's going to go there and spend that kind of money now even to get yes and i I know that you've got a free video there but i clicked on that to get the free video i have to give you my name my email my company name There's way too many barriers to getting to your material and getting to taste it, to sample it. I mean, we want the Chick-fil-A kind of model where you're standing out in the mall saying, hey, try this. You don't have to buy anything. Just try this. If you like it, yeah, we've got more over here where you could get it in a complete sandwich, but no obligation. I think you're going to have to do way more to engage people in the process, the value of what you have. You know, do a blog, do a free teleseminar, have free resources on your site that lead them right up to the point of having to have what's in your video. Well, geez, I, you ask, I gave. There you go. Got my opinion on that. I tend to be blunt and right to the point with how I seize them. Well, Jan says, Dan, you may have heard about this, but it's keeping with your focus. I thought you might be interested. The research shows that your focus and attitude makes the difference on getting and keeping a job. More proof of what you know and do. Okay, and, and this, this is a, um, a video, an article that talked about your mindset is more important than your skill set. 
Yeah, we've talked about that a lot. Jan, thanks for the link. It was a great article, a great video interview on that. Your mindset is more important than your skill set. I used to, uh, when I did corporate workshops on leadership development, I had an article that I would always give them. And again, I gave them a whole bunch of things. Here, here's kind of a tie-in with what I was just talking about. I identified about 120 companies that would be prospects for the leadership development seminar that I was doing at $3,500. I didn't just contact them and say, hey, I'm doing this workshop, you know, please pay me and I'll come in and show you what I do. I developed a program. I, I did not develop the program. I take that back. Jim Cecil developed a program called Nurture Marketing, and I used that program very effectively in becoming a resource of information for those companies that were prospective targets for me. So every month I would send them something. Every month. One of the things I would send them was an article that was titled, Hire for Attitude, Train for Skill, and talked about the importance of really knowing how your people think, how they're wired, how they relate to one another, what motivates them, how do they sell, persuade, those kind of things. And that's, of course, what I did provide then in a workshop, but I would send them lots and lots and lots of information to create what we call top of mind positioning. So then when they did have an issue come up, I wanted Dan Miller to be the one who they thought of, and they did, and that that went into follow-up with lots and lots of workshops that I did very profitably for companies. Rose says, Dan, I had to share this after your cicadas comment. I, I commented last week about the cicadas. You know, here in Tennessee, we are just bombarded. Um, they, they tell us that in a wooded area, there are as many as 1.5 million per acre. 1.5 million per acre. But it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. I mean, I observe it as such. I mean, my granddaughters think it's hilarious. You know, they can catch them. The cicadas aren't really too bright. They don't move too quickly. They're very harmless and don't bite. So they catch them and have eight at one time in their little hands, cupped together and do all kinds of funny things with them. My little granddaughter, Clara, or she'll stick a couple down in her blouse and then walk around and then grin and smirk when you hear this little chirping and try to find where it's coming from and ultimately realize she's got them in her shirt. Well, I, I know they spook a lot of people, but uh, they should be admired for what they do and it's interesting i commented on the fact that they are now laying their eggs which will then drop from the trees burrow down in the ground where they stay for 13 years and in may of 2024 they'll reappear come back out well rose is sharing that there's a link where there's two sisters who are making jewelry out of the wings of the cicadas i love these kind of ideas Love it, love it, love it. Now, there are 60-year-old twins in Greenwood, South Carolina, Susan and Sandy Smith, who are making jewelry from the wings of the cicadas. And they say they're beautiful the way they shine and reflect the light. The wings look like miniature stained glass windows. The earrings that Susan and Sandy Smith hope can make them a fortune in a matter of weeks um, Susan and her mirror image twin know their money-making venture will soon be over as the bugs will disappear within weeks and won't be back until 2024. Well, and they talk about, you know, they got neighbors that are collecting them by the thousands and bringing them to them. And it's a good thing because they have a backlog in their orders and the site actually shows the earrings that they're making out of cicada wings. I love those kind of ideas. I uh, appreciate you sending that along. I mean, that's the kind of thing, you know, talk about a window of opportunity. Now, it's not a very big one, believe me. I mean, they're working on a business that's going to be obsolete in three weeks. But that's okay. 
I mean, if they get a lot of media buzz on this, it'll draw attention to their ongoing business that they have. And what a great way to take advantage of something that has a very short window of opportunity, but uh, is an opportunity nonetheless. Earrings made out of cicada rings. Now, I know, you know, there's going to be 30 of you out there that are scratching your head saying, why didn't I think of that? Well, it's another example of, yeah, why didn't you think of that? Why didn't I think of that? There's ideas like that all around us. Just be confident that these gals got the idea about cicada wing earrings. What idea can you have tomorrow that's going to surprise, shock, and awe everybody just the same? Be confident that it is out there. Ray from Monroeville, Pennsylvania says, I'm 52 years old with the Navy Army submarines, infantry, and civilian commercial diving background. I retired from diving eight years ago due to health issues. Diving is my passion, but I'm too old for commercial diving and I'm having trouble finding a new passion that I can make pay. I've taught scuba, but that wasn't very profitable. What do you recommend? Thank you. Well, let's just take it from the top. Your passion is diving, but due to health issues, you can't do that anymore. Okay. You can teach, write, speak, create instructional manuals about diving. I mean, all of those things you can do. Let me be quick to add, though, I agree you ought to be able to find another passion. I mean, we don't each have just one passion. I mean, sometimes I think people misunderstand even what I talk about. I talk about at great length, you know, we ought to find our calling and our passion and have that be an integral part of our work. Well, for a lot of people, your passion may not pay enough for you to create your income needs from that, that's okay. But also, if you have lost the ability or somehow circumstances seem to be preventing you from working in your area of passion, my gosh, hopefully you can come up with four or five other things that you're passionate about as well. I mean, now, I love writing. I mean, I love the publishing kind of industry and the creative things we've been able to do. And I'm turning out one new product a month this year. And I love that process and all the cool things that we're able to do. However, if tomorrow the entire publishing industry tanked, people could no longer read. People weren't interested in books. Nobody was ever going to buy a book again or intellectual property in between two covers. Am I finished? Am I toast? No. I mean, my gosh, I could, I could be selling muscle cars tomorrow. I could have a little landscaping company because I love the creativity there. I could have a, a company where we're painting houses. I mean, this year, one of the things that I'm doing just for increased growth is learning about trees. I've got a couple books and I'm learning about the trees in our property so I can identify them by leaves and by bark so that I just understand why they're here, how they function, but also beyond that, so we can be driving down the road and I can recognize a tree or a unique tree that has interesting foliage or pretty blossoms or whatever, so I can know what that is. It's just an area of exploration. Now, I could take any of those things that I mentioned and actually do work connected with those, not feeling that I've been now being deprived because I loved writing so much. I'm surprised. I'm sure I would feel some temporary sense of loss and I've, you know, built a a very, um, you know, very uh, fulfilling business around writing, but uh, it's not the only thing that I'm passionate about. So I would encourage you, yeah, if, if diving doesn't seem to be working, 
kind, list four or five other things, explore something there, and develop that for what you do. I mean, life happens, no question about it, but it, it should not mean that our life stops when circumstances change. Melissa says, from Denver, says, I think I've heard you mention it before about buying the rights to a book that's out of print, republishing it yourself or adding to it. I've seen a great book that was published in the early 80s. How would I be able to do something with it? Thanks for your show. It's an inspiration to listen to. Well, thanks, Melissa, and thanks for your question. Yes, you have heard me talk a lot about getting the rights to books that are out of print. And you probably heard me mention that I purchased the rights to a book um, just last year, a little book called The Little Book of Big Ideas. And I love the book. Joanne loves the book. We had been selling a lot of the book here, and the publishing company went out of out of business. I contacted the publishing company and purchased the rights to that book, Lock, Stock, and Barrel. So I have the original contract with the author, who's now deceased, but the royalties will continue to his widow, and certainly, you know, we'll honor those. Um, but I own that book, so I can go in, I can, we're going to dress it up, change the cover dramatically, make it more appealing, change the format. I'm going to add a lot of my own information and a lot of links back to 48 Days in there, and we'll republish it as my own book. You can do that. Now, with what you've described, you have a, a couple issues to contend with here. You talk about a book that was published in the early 80s. If that book is no longer being published, you can contact the publisher and see what your options are. As I did, attempt to purchase the publishing rights. I mean, that's a very clear legal kind of position to own the publishing rights. If the book is still in print, then certainly you cannot do that. And this is far from being in the public domain. That's probably what you are referring to because I talk about there's a whole lot of books out there that you can simply take and republish because they're in the public domain. Works published in the United States before 1923 are considered public domain. Works created after 1989, now yours is in a gray area perhaps, works created after 1989 are protected for 70 years after the creator's death. Now, if it were the book you're talking about is in the early 80s, it does fall into a gray area. So the first thing you have to do is contact the publisher and then the author to see if you can negotiate an actual purchase of the rights to that. It's not in the public domain. Now, technically in that area, in between 1923 and 1989, copyrights have to be renewed. And if it is in an area where the copyright has not been renewed, then it is in kind of a gray area. But still, I would never attempt to try to do something with a book without first trying to contact the publisher and the author. And if it was written in the 80s, chances are the author's still around. So you need to do that. But that doesn't mean that you can't very easily. I mean, for the book I described, I paid a thousand bucks, paid a thousand dollars to get total rights to that book. I mean, I didn't do the research. I didn't put all the blood, sweat, and tears into writing the book. I just purchased it for a thousand bucks, and now it's mine. I can publish it and have the full margin between whatever the printing costs are, which may be a dollar and 20 cents, and you know, a $10 book, which is likely how we'll position that. So yeah, you're on the right track, but just uh, cover your bases by doing a research. 
Dan, this comes from Bob, who says, Dan, thanks for all your information. I look forward. I sell trading cards and other items on eBay and during the process had an aha moment and came up with the idea to write a book exploring the subculture of hardcore baseball card collectors, as well as the effect of the market by one particular player. I was told by a friend who has written and published books that I needed to grow my platform and grow an audience in advance by starting a blog on trading baseball cards. How can I attract people to my blog, ball for baseball card report dot wordpress dot com? Boy, that's kind of an unwieldy URL. Uh, anyway, you've got a blog up so I can build an audience when my book is published either on my own or with a publisher. Uh, thanks, Bob from Gainesville. Well, having a blog will tell you real quickly if you've got a topic that people are interested in and you want to get involved in commenting on other baseball card related blogs as well. Get involved in conversations where it'll become clear that you're somewhat of an expert in this field. Now, here's what you're confronted with, Bob. I mean, I, I did a quick Google search, not just for baseball, not just for baseball cards, but I put in Google search baseball card blogs and I got 9,780,000 results. So I guess part of my question is, you know, how are you going to make yourself stand out in that field of activity? I mean, that is a major, major number for baseball card blogs. There are a whole lot of other people doing this. So for you to, you know, have your aha moment and, and publish a book, yeah, I think you, you, your advice that you were given is absolutely right. You do need to build a platform. You do need to build an audience if you're going to be successful with a book. And you need to be doing that now. Going to a publisher, a publisher is going to do exactly what I just did. Okay, Bob, you don't have an audience, you don't have a platform, and there's 9,780,000 other people out there who are addressing the same audience. How are you going to make yourself stand out? How are you remarkable in that field? Now, if you can address those things, then leverage that and start doing that. But you ought to also be doing, you know, writing for magazines and newsletters that address this audience you ought to be doing interviews on radio stations you know speaking doing workshops and teleseminars i mean those are all things you do to build an audience and that is absolutely critical if you're ever going to get the attention of a publisher john says now john's one that says how do i deal with a heavy heart three years and i'm stuck in the same job I'm losing my faith and energy. I was making 50000 plus a year. And then later in real estate, I was making even more money. All gone. Well, John, I'm, I'm not sure what got you stuck in this job for three years, especially if you were at some point making more than $50,000 a year in real estate. Now, in real estate, nobody just has you sitting in a cubicle writing you a check. So being in real estate and making that kind of money lets me know you were out here generating your own leads, your contacts, getting listings, closing sales, and making significant income through your commissions. If you were ever able to do that, then I, I really don't understand fully how you feel trapped in a job because those same skills are very applicable to a whole lot of situations out there where you ought to be able to duplicate and surpass your former success. Even in real estate, Yes, even in real estate. I mean, in Florida, the real estate industry has been hammered. I understand that. 
But we're now at a point where USA Today says foreclosures have peaked and starting to go the other way. There's a whole lot of people who recognize the market is very soft. They're interested in purchasing properties. They're getting back in the game. This is a great time to be involved in real estate. And I talked to people. I ran into a guy, young guy, who I have admired over the years. He was a classmate of my daughter's. Came right out of school, started building houses with his dad, and has never done anything else. He's He builds new houses. That's what he does. Ran into him the other night. Hadn't seen him in about three years. And I said, well, how's it going? He says, you know, 90% of my competitors are gone. He said, last month, we had the highest grossing sales month I've ever had in my life. I said, you got to be kidding me. He says, no. He said, man, I just bought a, a foreclosed entire subdivision. He said, I mean, I almost feel guilty about what I got it for because I know what I'm going to be able to do with that. Now, see, you know, when, when 90% of your competitors drop out, do you think maybe there's more of a market share left for those who remain? Well, sure there is. And there are people in real estate who are doing really well. Now, Bob or John, what, what I want to say is this. Don't wait until things get better before you decide to feel better. You can make a decision you're going to feel better. You can make a decision you're going to find better opportunities. You can make decisions to be unstuck from this job, but you got to take the initiative on doing that. Nobody's going to knock on your door. We don't care if the economy gets better. We don't care if there are new people in the White House. It really doesn't matter. It's you are where you are. You wake up in your house tomorrow morning. What are you going to do? Make some new decisions to see new opportunities. Start moving in that direction. And I agree if you feel stuck and you've got a heavy heart. But 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 again, take responsibility. If you're losing faith and energy, you know, what can you do to increase those? How can you engage with some other people who are big thinkers, who are positive thinkers? Don't be hanging around people who are part of the ain't it awful club. Or you're going to find yourself being sucked into that. So get around people who are seeing new opportunities and believe that there are opportunities even in today's environment. As far as energy, man, jump on the treadmill in the morning. Get out and walk four miles. You'll be surprised the burst of energy that that gives you from expending. It almost seems counterintuitive. Well, I'm going to wear myself out. No, it's easy to track. I mean, just experiment with it. If you exercise, you'll have more energy at four o'clock in the afternoon than if you just crawl out of bed and drag yourself into the, into the office. Let me move on. Kelly says, Dan, I'm a very passionate elementary teacher. However, there are aspects of classroom teaching that stress me out. Do you know do you have any suggestions for alternative careers that use teaching and what you think about what do you think about online teaching? All right. Passionate elementary teacher over there are aspects of classroom teaching that stress me out. Yeah, I've got lots of ideas. You know, yesterday I was working with Nathan DeJezer, who does the audio refinement. He helps me produce the masters for my CDs where he goes in and puts in the tracking the titles music bed at the t- at the front and the end make sure there's no spikes no you know where i'm screaming or not speaking loud enough or whatever you know filters everything out he does all that well nathan is the pianist for donna summer remember donna summer of course you remember donna summer disco queen and i was telling nathan that I use a lot of music in my podcast, you know, things like people think I'm crazy, John Lennon and the Rose from Bette Midler. It's the heart afraid of breaking who never takes a chance. And he says, Dan, 
do you have Donna's most famous song ever? You gotta have her song and what you're doing. Well, there you have it. One of the most famous songs of all times. Donna Summer, still the disco queen. You know, I love watching people like that because Donna's been around a long time. She packs stadiums in Europe. I mean, other parts of the world, as well as here, still cranking things out. But there's one of her all-time big hits. She works hard for the money. And as I was thinking about uh, Kelly's question here passionate elementary teacher but there are things that stress you out yes i know there certainly are those situations that stress you out and i'm sure you work hard for your money let's look at some things you could do as a passionate elementary teacher but looking at other applications of your passion for teaching that take you out of the typical public classroom Boy, things have changed there, haven't they? I mean, I, I'm hearing from lots of teachers who are saying, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I didn't sign up to be a policeman. I wanted to be a teacher. So look at the things that drew you to teaching. You know, your heart for being nurturing, compassionate, understanding, good listener, for instilling a love of learning in people. I mean, where are other environments that would welcome those skills, those characteristics still? There's lots of them. You could teach homeschoolers, teaching classical schools, which are exploding all over the country. Tutoring, writing instructional manuals, doing seminars for parents. I mean, it reminds me of Jim Hodges, uh, my friend who said that, you know, he wanted to sit around the house all day and read old history books. And he does that. He creates audio programs for homeschoolers and then he travels to about 10 homeschooling conferences every year makes well over six figures a well over hundred thousand dollars selling his audio programs to homeschoolers where he reads old history books he has a heart of a teacher but he didn't want to put himself back in the classroom both not wanting the confrontation of the kids and the parents but also not wanting the ceiling the low ceiling financially uh, you could do teaching in a corporate or nonprofit setting. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do. I mean, just get a sheet of paper and start listing the things that you can do with your affinity for teaching and yet not be in a public classroom. Let me grab one more. Chris says, I believe that my past is holding me back because I'm fearful of people finding out I have a criminal history that had me in and out of jail until my mid-20s. I never did anything bad enough to be charged with a felony. I want to start my own business. Any advice? Yeah, lots of advice, Chris. You know, my yard guys just drove out. They're just leaving here. You know, they show up every week. Boom, they come in here and do a beautiful job. Now, did I ask each of them about their personal background before I had them start doing my yard work? Or did I even ask to see a resume? Of course not. I mean, if they're reliable, they're honest, they do great work, they're going to have my business and I'm going to recommend them to other people. You know, we all have things in our past that we think are obstacles, but I suspect this is a lot bigger obstacle between your own two ears than it is out here in the real world. If you decide that you want to have a landscaping business or you want to start painting houses or you want to have a delivery service or, you know, you want to be a massage therapist, I mean, there's all kinds of things people are not going to ask you 
gee, I want to know your personal background. You provide a service. I mean, you don't have it tattooed on your forehead that you were in and out of jail. Hold your head high, provide a service or product that people want, and the sky's the limit. There's no ceiling on what you can do. Now, I, I have more than just a little bit of interest in this topic. I mean, one of the products I'm going to be producing this year is 48 Days for the Recently Released Convict or Inmate. I mean, we have a lot of involvement, Joanna and I do, with people who have just come out of prison. You know, some wonderful people, some of the most wonderful people I've ever met who come out who have clear skills. And But you are right. If people know that about you, there are some immediate doors that are closed. Now, this is not about misrepresenting or being deceitful, but let your work speak rather than those things in your past. Again, I mean, my gosh, look at some of the politicians we're hearing about right now. You know, do they, they want that to be their calling card as they move forward in life? No. They want to have those things buried in the past and not uh, just indiscriminately hidden or unfairly hidden. But, you know, get back to doing positive things that create your reputation rather than being identified by some of those mistakes that you made in the past. Well, golly. Yeah, I better stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. Again, please uh, jump in and do the survey. I'd love to get your input on that. 48days.com slash reader hyphen survey. Let us know what you, the podcast listeners, you guys are represent a really big, uh, loyal, verbal, involved group. And I want to hear from you as well. So please connect with that survey. We appreciate that. Get involved in 48days.net as it has meaning for you. Keep Keep uh, doing what you're doing. We love to hear from you. Shoot your questions into askdan at 48days.com or just fill out the little link there on the podcast. Keep creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. Have a wonderful week.